Welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth or even a few seconds. Sometimes the movement itself is even less than a minute long, and we show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Alex and Christian Giebert. Today's moment is the final movement, the Amen, from BWV 61, Nun kommt der Heiden Highland. Amen, amen. Come, you beautiful crown of joy. Tarry not long. I wait for you with longing. We've announced the birth of Christ in a regal manner. It's a splashy and colorful cantata all the way through, including a famously strange bass recitative where Jesus knocks on a door as portrayed by plucked string instruments. But the other character is us. We say, come savior of the Gentiles at the beginning. We announce that he's coming to take on our wretched temporal flesh and blood upon himself. So right now, listener, if you listen to this as it is released, we like to follow the church here, and it's not Advent, you may have noticed. Why are we doing an Advent cantata? Except for the fact that I like to do this one near the beginning of our season. But it's still all there. In the second movement of the cantata, we hear about Christ taking our blood upon himself. So we're still talking about his sacrifice, which points toward Lent and Good Friday, which is closer to where we are in our church here right now. And then we have a wonderfully delicate soprano solo, Open Yourself, My Heart, Jesus Comes and Enters In. And once this is all done, there's room for one whole verse of a hymn. If you know a bit about Bach cantatas, you expect that the very last thing you'll hear is a hymn stanza, a chorale harmonized by Bach, and soprano has the melody and just chords, straightforward. That's not what happens here. What happens here is a chorale, but Bach's librettist of this cantata cut the verse in such a way that we think it actually must have been shocking or even insulting for some people to hear it because the first half is cut. We hear only the end only the last few phrases from the hymn, O Morning Star, How Fair and Bright, of the last verse of that hymn, we hear just the end. Nowhere else in the cantata is the rest of it used. And this is the very last hymn stanza, right? This is the last verse. Mm-hmm. At least it is in the English version of this that I know. Yeah, it is. The, the famous English translation by Catherine Wingworth is like, crown of gladness, we are yearning for your returning, right? Yes, and that's a great translation. 
and because some of some of the magic is just in the the German itself there you have amen amen and amen it, it really it means so be it or let it be so and then in german du schöne freudenkrone freudenkrone joy crown beautiful crown of joy but then bleib nicht lange tarry not long don't stay long deine wart ich mit verlangen i wait for you with longing and that would have been the character of jesus depicted as the fair bridegroom yeah you know it's hard to do translations but this amen amen come lord jesus crown of gladness we are yearning for the day of your returning it's pretty good in terms of fitting all that what you just said into english into the same meter with rhyming it's pretty good although joy is better than gladness yeah but they had to rhyme it she had to actually do that. it doesn't rhyme but it had to fit you know yeah the reason why joy is better is because this movement is basically like mystical ecstasy it's just it's joy and it's cut off short it the first the first chunk of the melody is absent and why alex do you think i mean my guess would just be that if he wanted to end it with the final thing this starts with the words amen so that was a natural thing to do but it is weird i mean because we don't hear that chorale melody earlier in this cantata right we hear no. nun kommt der heisen highland which is savior of the nations come but we don't hear this we don't hear this is wie schön leuchtet right yeah this is the morning um, star we don't hear that anywhere else yeah no we don't i think the reason is poetic so let's frame it this way this is a commentary from the website bachcantatatexts.org which is a great new resource that aims to put the german into literal english mm. not poetic translation but actually like using themes of the time how people would have understood how the german would have been used and all the metaphors and everything that that are lost on us when we just directly translate and i'm using their translation here they say about this cantata that in bach's traditional lutheranism god's messiah jesus the second person of the eternal trinity is said to come from eternal heaven to temporal earth in three physical quote advents I don't know about you, Alex, but when I think about like Lutheranism and right now, it's like you think of Christ's first coming was when he was born. Yeah, you know, Christmas. in zero A.D. and then uh, and then he died, and then his second coming will be in the future. Now, what? So there's three, but what it is is the first advent is his human birth as a child of the Virgin Mary. Now I'm quoting Bach Cantata texts. The second advent is his physical presence in, with, and among or under. Oh the elements communion. of bread and wine Got in the sacrament of communion that's right the lord's supper so part of the church service so it's the it's the present there's past present and future it is okay in mit und unter yeah which it's, is well it's a very lutheran thing to say it's right? a phrasing we still use yeah. now in in english in the in with and under. Um, many english lutheran congregations and the third advent is his coming back at the end time to judge the living and the dead which most christian traditions called the second coming and the judgment there is is one of Christ finding us on our own guilty of sin but then he himself was the one who saved us when he first came and was the sacrifice there's a lot of layers to it that is cool listeners longtime listeners might remember that way back in episode 11 the first season we talked about cantata 6 bleib bei uns that one a beautiful piece of work i made that connection about the jesus staying with us through communion in that episode
but it is true that we don't usually, at least in the Luther Church, talk, yeah, we say second coming, but this, yeah, this is a different understanding. This would mean that that was Jesus's third coming, right? yeah. where the second and is about, present. And about that last coming of Christ, that's why this hymn stands as short, I think, because it's don't wait long, come quickly. You know, I, mm-hmm. I wait for you with longing. I'm waiting for you with so much longing that I'm willing to skip the first part of this hymn <laughs> and all of it stands as, and even two thirds of the last stanza. I was gonna say, you're, so this that is the I last get, third of yeah, the stanza. So that, that I can sense. just get to the end, skip to the end. Yeah. That's what this is saying. And they say on the on that website, Cantata 61's librettist is sometimes now criticized for having abnormally mutilated this hymn by employing only the second half of the stanza although a similar practice is found in other Baroque vocal, vocal works. So it's not really that heretical. Yeah. The altered stanza at the end of this cantata was meant to function, presumably, as a more powerful doxology and closing for the cantata. Amen and amen, that phrase, appears at the end of the blessings or doxologies marking the division of the Psalms into the first three of its books, one through five, at the conclusions of Psalms 41, 72, and 89. Hmm, I didn't know that. And then the half stanza, this one, also focuses on the language of Song of Songs. That's Song of Solomon. King Solomon's crown, the Freudenkrona, crown of joy. (laughs) Wedding and joy of heart are commended in Song of Songs 311. And that's the wedding imagery, the wedding analogy that we often see, talking about Christ as the bridegroom. And that verse from the Old Testament is, Go out, O daughters of Zion, and look upon King Solomon with the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, on the day of the gladness of his heart. And so Christians took that that old verse and decided that, that they would bestow upon Jesus a name of the beautiful crown of joy. And the listeners at the time, Bach's German-speaking audience, would know, that, would know all of this. That's why we like to clarify it for us, especially the English speakers. And because of that double amen, and since amen is used apparently in Revelation chapter 3 as a name or title for Jesus, the double amen at the beginning of this movement can be understood in the context of this libretto, not only as an affirmation, but also as an invocation. So not just amen, it is so that you're going to come back, Jesus, but also amen, amen is a, is a name of Jesus too. It's like a, a way to call him. So there's a lot of layers, very rich in theological imagery layers here. Yeah, I also like the the layer of, or the angle, I should say, of thinking about the directionality of the music in this particular movement. This short little, less than a minute long piece of music is all about ups and downs. I think yearning for the day of Jesus is returning. The hymn melody by itself, before Bach even had to do anything to it, already ends with just a simple downward major scale. It just goes from do all the way to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, astute listeners will recognize that as uh, the same notes as Joy to the World, right, Christian? Hmm. I, I mean, I mean, like, that's Joy to the World, the, the beginning phrase. It's just a simple downward scale, major scale. That is also just a scale. I mean, that's all it is. But if you listen to what's going on in the rest of this movement, there are these little, there's these little hops and skips down happening a lot in the sequences, in a musical sequence, which is just where you take a group of notes and then you move it up a step or down a step. He's going down 
a lot in these musical sequences. Aren't you seeing that? It's like dun 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 and the bass and and the yeah. tenor's like na 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 na. The common advent advent theme of descending down to earth. Yeah. Joy to the world, the, the Lord has come. Yeah, for sure. I think that's what's going on in Lowell Mason's head when he was putting together Joy to the World also, which arguably Handel wrote that, but it's like kind of assumed nowadays, I think, music scholarship-wise, that Lowell Mason like synthesized bits of Handel and other things to make the melody for Joy to the World. But it does sound pretty Baroque, that particular melody also. But you've got, again, you've got these things that float down, these melody, melodic phrases that float down. But there's still a reaching up also. It's just it's just he's very he's very intentional about movement. It, things don't stay static. Things don't just like jump up and back down and back up. They typically like have a long trajectory down or a long trajectory up. I've always liked this hymn tune because of that descending scale at the end. If you know it in a modern English context, I think it's usually done with one altered note. So it's not exactly a descending scale, but it's still it's still got that that same effect. And the very end we haven't talked about the violin line yet. There's such a nice parallel to Alex between the joy to the world like descent, descending scale of this last phrase versus the final extremely high ascent, at least for a Baroque violin, the last measure here. You're right. He does he does indicate on here in Bach's hand here I'm reading this that the violins play in unison there. The viola one and two parts which are two separate parts, he wants them to double the alto and tenor respectively. Bassoon doubling bass and he doesn't say anything about the trumpet doubling soprano but it can if you're using it. There's no trumpet in the rest of this, right? No. So, but he may it's still maybe he had it. You know, sometimes we don't know. A lot Did of times he write trumpet right there. Well, a lot of times trumpet just doubled the soprano. That just went yeah. without saying, but if you had one, maybe they did it. I and this was Weimar, know. so this was pre-Leipzig. Yeah, maybe not. It, we have, kind of interestingly too, if you look at his score, a little bit of an unusual marking, something that he didn't usually write in his cantatas, which is simply the order of service for the day. Yep. November 28th, 1723, Advent of 1723, when this was performed in church. And it just like looks like a church bulletin, like kind of, you know, like it, it's not laid out like that. It's Bach's own hand, just for his own notes put on the score but it talks about you know the prelude some songs the Kyrie reading of the of the epistle and the gospel and when the cantata happens in the service where's the sermon and all that stuff and it's just in there as an example it's not something that we have for most of the rest of his work but it gives us a good little snapshot of his life that day it was a bit earlier in his career he was 29 I think when he wrote this right, in this 1714 is, is it 1714 this December yeah we we have this bulletin from 1723, which is when he reused it, this piece. So yeah, before he was 30. It was meant to impress. It's, it's got so many special effects in it. It's got this high violin, the plucking recitative. It's, it's just chock full of shimmering, sparkly effects. And, and in some in some German churches, you this would be it for music until Christmas. No music in, or no instrumental music in Advent, I think it might, might have been. So to send them off with that really high G, that might be the last orchestra stuff they, they heard for a month. So the Swiss 
J.S. Bach Foundation, which is known as Bach Stiftung. Rudolf Lutz is the conductor of that ensemble. They've got a recording that you can find online. In addition to our Netherlands Bach Society recording conducted by Van Veltoven, but the Bach Stiftung performance is uh, even faster. <laughs> yeah. And I clocked it in at like 31, 32 seconds, this movement, the whole, the whole chorale. It's 14 measures of music, and it's really 11 if you don't count the opening bar, which is an introduction, because on bar two, the soprano enters with the proper melody. The bass entrance at the beginning is just a, a setup, basically. But it does do the melody. It is the, the two notes. Yeah, it is. It's and, and it's also kind of fun because the, the opening movement had the same deal, where the bass, like the continuo part, the very first thing mm-hmm. you heard was the Noon Comterhead Highland melody the on the bass. Yeah. So he just does it again here, mm-hmm. even though it's just two notes. <laughs> yeah. The combination of all the elements in the orchestration here, the bass, sometimes with, sometimes not with the continuo, the tenor and alto on these extremely agile, quick little middle parts on the amens and the com, 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 all these little uh, counterpoint of com that happen, that pop through. And then this swift running violin line that's sprightly and happy and like joyously ecstatic. Meanwhile, over all of it is this soaring soprano chorale it's just it's just perfection in my in my eyes. Yeah, it's a ears. forty-five. <laughs> yeah, it's a forty-five second masterpiece. It is. I guess it is. the The whole thing can just count as m- my moment of Bach. I guess, but it doesn't matter at this point. It's so short. If I have to pick a moment to within it within the moment, I'll say the high G that that soprano coming up and doing the joint of the world down. Yeah, because that just hits you like a beam from from the sun directly into your eyeball or something. I was, Christian, randomly before we started, before we started recording, I was looking at the score upside down just because it's where I was standing at the table. And I was commenting that if you do that, it looks like that violin line, which, you know, normally resorts to a high G at the end of the piece. So it looks like completely different. Now then it starts on like a low rumbling note that, <laughs> that hangs there for a while. And then it kind of comes out of the depths like, no, 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 Like, it completely changes the character of it. But then you, what did you say about the amens? The amens are the same, though. Yeah. Because we turn the music upside down and amen. And then, right, if it's upside down and backwards, then the amens stay. They stay. The same. Yeah. Well, except for the, well, if you're, except for the words. The words, yeah, wouldn't work. But if you're looking at the notes, they're the same interval then. That's kind of funny. Yeah, and the violin does go up. You know? It does. It, at the end, it would end high again because of how it started low. So, the the linear aspect of this too that it doesn't it doesn't recapitulate. Doesn't have time for any of that. Doesn't have time to go back down. It's just soaring up that violin part for the thirty second duration, and it's up and up, and it's it's like our souls soaring up and up to meet Jesus. And at the same time, we're singing down and down about please return, come quickly, don't wait come back down to earth as we approach, as we finally go down, 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 down to that tonic note, the Sopranos can then just sit on and hold while everything else, joyfully chaotic, just sort of settles into place for that ending. It's so mm. perfect. 
you know, in later eras of music, there would be a tendency or maybe even felt as a duty by composers to make something longer than you'd think it would need to be because it needs to be developed because the themes need to be developed. And I think because this is so compact, because it's so short, I mean, it's not like it's not set up. It's the sixth movement. So it's there's music before this. So you're already in the mood for this to happen. But this particular thing in its own musical material is not set up, right? We said that it's the text and the tune of this has not happened earlier in the cantata, but it's also the context of the people that were here. This, they would know that tune already. So that's an aspect of it that might not be true today of some of the cantata audiences of this, especially if they weren't church going people who knew the, the hymn, even though it has endured. But I think that's a peculiarity of, of this era that it would go away because in the classical era after this, there was still room for some short, sweet, cute pieces. But then in the romantic era, things got a little bit bloated. And it wasn't until the 20th century classical era where things needed to be shorter. Once you got to a certain point of the 20th century classical era, the meaning of this kind of thing kind of disappeared because the, the context for all that music was just too too fragmented. The, this kind of thing, this kind of little cantata for the, for this small town, you know, all things considered a fairly small town, would have not existed and the thing is that they were accepting of seven minute aria, like they could handle it, but they also needed every once in a while, a 30 second blast to the face of of a beam of light like this. Yeah. Yeah. Listen to this. Listeners, go listen to this on some really good speakers and just like bask in it. And if, if you have the capability to watch the YouTube video while doing so, even better, because of course, just like all these productions, it's really well staged. Also, if I can go so far as to say, since it's so short, great opportunity for listening for different things. Take a run through it, listen for the violin, and see if you can follow it the whole time mm. as it dips up and down, finally source all the way to the top. Yeah. Listen again and hear the bass line and just listen for the, lo- the lowest note and see what that's doing. And then listen only to the melody that we're supposed to hear, the melodic stuff. And then take another listen and try to pick out really quick little inner parts that you didn't hear before. There's so much in so little. And now, here is that movement in its entirety. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of BWV 61, Nun kommt der Heidenheiland, please see the link in the episode description to see that performance by the Netherlands Bach Society. Do you want to hear our new episodes as we release them? Well, all you have to do is find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. Then the episodes will download automatically to your device. What moment will we be talking about in our next episode, Alex? We're going to look at a cantata that we haven't touched yet, BWV 48, Ich Ele der Mensch, and specifically we'll talk about the middle chorale. Until next time, 
Enjoy those moments. <laughs>